Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends, on Thursday at the end of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, Santa Claus rides down the avenue in his giant sleigh. Macy's wants the world to know that once the turkey and cranberries and stuffing have been put away, the Christmas season has arrived. What do you call this time of year? The the season that sort of ranges from Thanksgiving into early January. Do you call it the holiday season? It's not just Christmas. For Christians, it's also Christ the King Sunday and Advent and Epiphany. For Jews, there is Hanukkah. There's a lot. A great deal of what we do at this time of year is anthropological. In other words, it is rooted in the human psyche and in humankind's relationship to the earth and to its climate and rooted in culture and in tradition. Before there were Christians and a Christian religion, there was the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. This year it will be on December 21st like it often is. The days get shorter and shorter and shorter until then. Then the days begin to get longer again. This has been important anthropologically to the human family for a long time. Ask the Romans. Ask the people who built Stonehenge. Ask the Mayans who built Chichen Itza, the pyramid. So the Romans, when they created a calendar, which became our calendar, they put the new year as close as they could to the solstice, the time when the days began to get longer again. And they named the first month January, after Janus, the two-faced Roman God. Because when we cross into the new year, we look forward and we look backward where we get the name January, looking forward and backward. Think then for a moment about how you observe New Year's. Can you admit it in church? Probably you can because I think a lot of you go to bed at 8 (laughs) o'clock. About an hour after I go to bed. Many of us, probably most of us, celebrate. There may or may not be champagne dancing, feasting, music. We are glad for a new beginning. Glad sometimes to say farewell to what happened. But there is another aspect to New Year's, what we call resolutions, which is similar to what the church calls repentance. A desire to amend our ways, our past ways, and to do better in the future. There is a certain amount of judgment that arrives with the new year, not unlike what some of us experience on our birthdays. 
How have we spent the time entrusted to us? How much time remains? What will we do with the time that remains? New Year's is the marking of the passage of time. With it comes hope for the future, but also loss for what is gone, and judgment on how we have been living our lives so far. The church year also marks its passing. Today is the last Sunday of the church year. Christ the King Sunday. Our hymn of the day is Auld Lang Syne. No, it isn't. <laughs> Advent begins next Sunday, a new church year. All of the same themes that are triggered by that civil calendar in connection with December 31st and January 1st are with us as we end one year of the church calendar and begin another one. For example, there is judgment. There is judgment on how you and I have lived our lives. In the great parable this morning, the great parable of the sheep and the goats, the judge appears on judgment day, somewhere in the future, supposedly, but it turns out to the surprise of the sheep and the goats, to the surprise of the righteous and the unrighteous, it turns out that the judge was with us all along in the poor, the rejected, the isolated, the desperate. The words of Jesus are familiar to us all, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family. You did it to me. This was arguably the foundation of the work and ministry of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. The judge, Christ, is all around us, 24 hours a day. We don't have to wait for judgment day, just as you did it. To one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Members of this congregation and others regularly speak with me about the difficulty of encounters with homeless people. The difficulty is that the homeless person is a judgment, a judgment on us and on our society. Understanding that is the first step. We push them away sometimes. We won't take that first step. We push them away, we say, because they smell bad or because they lack good manners. But we really push them away because they make us uncomfortable. They remind us of the vast work of the kingdom of heaven. They remind us of the judgment of Christ, as in this parable, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Looming behind this parable, Jesus' background for this parable, is the prophecy of Ezekiel, our first reading this morning. I encourage you to explore the entirety 
of chapter 34 of Ezekiel. We have selected verses included this morning. It is an apt message for today, a scary message for today. There are two levels of exploitation that are condemned by God through the prophet Ezekiel. On one level, there are the bad shepherds who have been eating the sheep. Shepherds are supposed to feed the sheep and care for them. The good shepherd, you know, that's like Psalm 23, lead them beside the still waters, take them to green pastures. Shepherds are supposed to take care of the sheep, but the shepherds, according to Ezekiel, have been eating what has been entrusted to them. This is in the verses prior to the selected verses deployed in our first lesson. Thus, God says in verse 10, immediately prior to our reading, Thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds. The shepherds in Ezekiel means the political leaders. In our own day, we can name many leaders, not just political, who are predators. Whether they are entrusted with health care or with the spiritual care of souls, whether they are entrusted with responsibility for the environment or with responsibility for pension funds, whether they are in the entertainment industry or the real, or the real estate industry or the church or one or more of the three branches of government. When the shepherds become predators, thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds. Said so two levels of condemnation. In the verses that we do have in your service folder in the first lesson, we see that when the shepherds become predators, then the sheep turn against one another. That is why in this prophecy, God, the good shepherd, separates not the sheep from the goats, but similarly, Jesus had this in mind, I think, he separates the fat sheep from the scrawny sheep. The the fat sheep became fat because they acted like goats. Here's the quote. You pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak animals with your horns. Pushing and shoving, butting aside the weak, that is what happens when the law of the jungle becomes the foundation of a society. And God says he will put an end to it. The bad shepherds will be dealt with and the sheep who take advantage will be dealt with. That's the background for Jesus' parable. Ezekiel, very colorful book. You should read it sometime. That's chapter 34. Good shepherds, bad shepherds. No wonder Jesus talked about shepherds. So there is judgment in the gospel parable and judgment in the background for the parable of Jesus in Ezekiel. These, These are aspects of the year coming to an end, a reckoning with time, and the values that have governed our lives 
so far. An acknowledgement of judgment now and in the future. But the other part of a new year is hope. If you're going to lift a glass of champagne at New Year's, it's probably not for judgment. It's probably for hope. Renewal. The chance to do better. This is the year I'm going to fit back into my skinny jeans. This is the year that I'm going to put as much money into savings as I do into Starbucks. From Ezekiel today, we get our first taste of Advent. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's in today's reading. Advent is full of promise. The prince who is coming, who will rise up from the line of David. In addition, our second reading and our psalm this morning are two classic expressions of hope favorites of the Christian people. The second reading from Ephesians points to the future fulfillment when God rules all in all. This reading is sometimes used on All Saints Day, a great day of hope, and always on Ascension, a great day of hope and looking into the future. It is a favorite. And he has put all things under his feet and, made, and has made Christ the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There is the possibility of goodness. There is the possibility even of greatness in the reign of God, the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. All in all, goodness pervading everything. This is the hope and promise of Christ the King at the end of the church year. In our psalm, psalm number 95, maybe it means nothing to you. If you grew up a certain way, it might mean something to you. For almost as long as Christianity has existed, this was the first psalm in the first prayer of the morning, the first thing a Christian would get up and do after midnight. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Of 150 psalms in the Bible, this is the one that was used in the daily prayers of Christians, the first psalm of a new day, the first prayer of a new day, a song of joy and confidence in the possibility of the day ahead, a morning song, a get-up-out-of-bed song, a song of confidence in the reign of God in our lives today. So today we mark the passing of time and we mark the cyclical nature of time. We reckon with what has been and we hope for what will be. God bless all the saints. God bless all the creation from east to west, from north to south as we live into the kingdom of Christ. Amen.